Good morning. It's time for Awaken with Dr. Joe and Mark Hullcraft. Awaken airs the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 7 a.m. Central with the executive director of Real Presence Radio, Mark Hullcraft, and his brother, Dr. Joe Hullcraft, professor and director of the High Calling Program at the Avila Institute. Together with a mix of national and local personalities, connecting examples in church history, contemporary relevance, and lively witness of the saints, Mark and Joe will share how the Holy Spirit is working to awaken in all of us a deeper sense of what we are made for, a life in Christ. Dr. Joseph Holcraft coming to you from uh, Northeast Ohio. This is not quite yet Mark, and Mark will be joining us here in a little bit. Uh, This morning, what we're about is, again, taking up another question that comes to us from the Gospel. A couple weeks ago, we started a new series here on Awaken uh, that will underscore why Jesus asks the questions that he does. You know, when Mark and I were talking about our programming, we were looking at subject matter that might awaken, essentially, within us uh, the the Lord and and our relationship with Jesus Christ, and certainly, no doubt, the questions he asks us um, and the value within them uh, are an invitation, an invitation to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So this week, what we have before us is uh, the question that comes to us from the wedding feast at Cana. A question that I myself have received a great number of questions about. Uh, Those words, um, Oh woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Uh, These are words, uh, a question that comes on the heels of Mary asking uh, or making a very simple statement, I have no wine, or rather they have no wine. So why would Jesus say to Mary after she says they have no wine, Oh woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So what I want to do at this point is just uh, open up with a word of prayer and then engage this gospel text, answering that question, why would Jesus ask, ask such a question? Because no doubt, to our modern ears, uh, if it was just that word woman, you know, that, that troubles us, let alone uh, the phrase, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That, that almost sounds like a, a son in rebellion to his mother, right? What have you to do with me? So we're going to talk about this, and I look forward to doing so. But before we do any of that, again, we're going to open up with a word of prayer. So let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we just praise you and thank you for the gift of this beautiful morning in which to spend time with your Word. So often we want to... Uh, hear you, uh, hear the Word of God. Well, if we're going to hear you and and hear your Word, we must first uh, open up the Word of God. So this is what we are about, so that we might enter into a deeper relationship with you. Um, As in all things, we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So again, as last week, we took up uh, 
the question uh, from Jesus to Mary, uh, why would you not know I would be in my Father's house? And, and there's some controversy around that question. Our second question that we are taking up is one that has some, uh, some questions that encircle it. So as we did in our last time together, we're going to read the Gospel so as to appreciate the context. You've heard me say before with Mark that, you know, you can read a particular verse from sacred Scripture and try to get at its meaning. But if you don't read it in its entirety, not only in the narrative itself, today's the marriage feast at Cana, John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, but also within the larger scope of the entirety of sacred Scripture. So today, for example, we are going to see uh, the great value in uh, our Lord's use of woman uh, in relationship to the entirety of sacred Scripture. So this is how the Church Fathers teach us. Uh, how to interpret uh, interpret sacred scripture. So this is what we are going to do uh, this morning. So with that, let us go ahead and read the marriage feast at Cana. This is again John chapter two, verses. Uh, we are going to read to verse twelve. On the third day, there was a marriage at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the marriage with his disciples. When the wine failed, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, O woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servant, Do whatever he tells you. Now six stone jars were standing there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the steward of the feast. So they took it. When the steward of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it come from, though the servants had drawn the water new, the steward of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when man have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This, the first of his signs, certainly going to be something important, right? Now, again, they have no wine. <laughs> and Jesus responds by saying, Oh, woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. As I noticed from the outset, at first glance, uh, these words seem almost harsh, right? Uh, they, they, they seem a bit rough, as if Jesus is pushing away his mother. Uh, okay. Uh, Mark, uh, thanks for joining us, bud. Where I just uh, was uh, going to the gospel <laughs> and, and reflecting into um, this question that we're set to take up today. You know, this, this uh, these words, a woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come, and how... At first glance, these words seem uh, quite harsh, as if Jesus is pushing his way, uh, pushing away his mother. You know, Mark, uh, as we do here um, on Awaken, you, you take these uh, biblical texts and you, you you try to bring them down into um, our reality, right? Imagine in our twentieth, twenty uh, first century world, a mother calling her son to, to the table for supper, 
and the res- and the son responding by saying, "Woman, what have you to do with me?" I mean, we both have sons, right? <laughs> it, Imagine, it would not go good for them. <laughs> no, no, it would not, right? Um, so, uh, why would our Lord be saying this to Our Lady? Well, if we consider what Jesus says in light of ancient Jewish culture. And in the wider context of the wedding feast of Cana, there are certain facts, Mark, that emerge. And this is really what what I want to focus in on. The first of which is in John's Gospel, our Lord uses the title woman not as a negative uh, term or way to address um, a lady. No, in fact, this was a sign or a a, a title of endearment, a title of respect. Uh, this is seen, for example, when Jesus tenderly appears to Mary Magdalene on Easter Sunday. Uh, we see this in uh, John chapter 8, verse 10, when Jesus forgives the sins of the woman who committed adultery. Uh, we see this when uh, Jesus draws the Samaritan woman to, to faith um, in the Messiah in John chapter 4, verse 21. Given, we could say, Mark, I think the positive way this address appears in John's Gospel Jesus calling Mary woman does not indicate a rebuke or a lack of infection. Now, what's interesting about this is in biblical times, a man might address a female as woman, but nowhere else in the ancient uh, Greco-Roman world or in ancient Israel do we know of an example of a son addressing his mother with this title. So Jesus addressing his own mother as woman would be unique to all of antiquity. This suggests, I would argue, and again, I'm just pulling from the Church Fathers and commentaries here, Mark, that Jesus has some particular purpose in mind when he calls his mother woman, a purpose that goes beyond the normal, congenial way he addresses other women. So from the outset, and and no doubt we're going to get into the rest of this question, the title woman well, as they say, there's more than meets the eye, huh, Mark? Yeah, exactly, Joe. And that's always uh, the situation when it comes to Scripture. We're diving in to God's Word. Is There's always, you know, you always point to the context. There's always deeper context. And I think it's important for our listeners as much as you and I. Context does not just always mean, okay, where does the word fall in the sentence? Where does that sentence fall in the paragraph? But even especially in reference to this, Jesus is... He's, I, my understanding, again, and you referred to the church fathers, he's always mindful of a bigger picture. And not just a big, big, bigger picture of uh, that Jesus is helping him to initiate his first miracle, and so that his glory would be revealed, you know, for the first time, so to say, the, toward the beginning of his public ministry. But even like, so what do certain words mean? What, what is the context of, what does that mean in ancient Hebrew or Aramaic times? And, and you were starting to go there a bit, Joe. You know, nowhere in Scripture, in the, in the ancient sacred writings, does a man refer to his mom in such a way. But you know Jesus is aware of the bigger picture. And so what is he getting at? And, you know, I think this is where you're going, is I think where he's, what he's starting to get at is uh, this, this mother, my mother who's been given to me, this is going to be the beginning of something much more. You know, and this is where, for me, as I go in 
And as I've come to learn more about Mary, her role in the church, uh, you know, her being certain titles, one of them being, you know, the first disciple, if you will, um, in, in light of all the things that could be regarding Mary, I think we see the beginning. This is a throwback, Joe, to Genesis 3.15, where we start to see this is when we see woman for the first time in the ancient writings. Um, yeah. So it's that, big, it's that bigger picture. Um, so, you know, context one, and part of that context is bigger picture, but not just bigger picture to <laughs> that paragraph, but we need to... We need to put ourselves there in that scripture verse and start to see, no, Jesus has so much more. As you you said, Joe, so much more than meets the eye. Very Transformers of you, by the way, for our Transformer movie fans. More than meets the eye. (laughs) Ironically, ironically, this is funny in a little pop culture, that reference in Transformers is actually meant to be a Christian reference. More than meets the Mm. eye uh, in regards to... uh, character and quality and so i think we see this with with mary and with jesus it really is more than meets the eye there's a bigger picture which i think you know and we'll come to this a little bit later too joe but when we dive in to prayer you know we we start to dive into some of the uh applicable uh what what is applicable to us in this scripture one of the things we start to see is it's all the more reason we bring our prayers to Jesus through Mary. Um, and we'll yeah. touch on this too. Because Jesus and Mary are always mindful of the bigger picture for us. And, and what might appear bad or might, what might appear culturally uh, un, un, not good. <laughs> ungood, Joe? <laughs> so, can I use that? Uh, but culturally, it's not, it, the, the appearance in the moment is not good. Jesus and Mary will always be aware of the bigger picture of what might not seem good. Well, as we see in St. Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, for we know all things work for good when done in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I would, I would add Mary to that because Mary is always pointing to her son. Well, and no doubt John wants us to see something here, Mark, that draws your point out with respect to Mary and her role, um, her, her principal role of mediation. What do I mean? Well, we have to take, as I was hinting at in the opening, a, a wider look at just not uh, this chapter and these verses, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, but the entirety of the Gospel of John in light of the whole of the Bible. What do I mean? Well, John uses things um, that are familiar to explain things that are unfamiliar. By that, mm. go to the Gospel of John. What do you read in the opening chapter? Well, what's the opening verse? In the beginning. Right? So the Gospel of John opens up with in the beginning. Well, once you read that, what are you thinking about? Well, the story of creation. Genesis chapter yeah. 1, verse 1, in the beginning. So right away, John is intentional to get our attention to what the story of creation. And then what does he go on to, to detail? He's talking about day. Mark, he's talking about light. He's talking about darkness. Uh, he, the first expression in the book of Genesis of man is woman. What's the first expression of, of man in the book of John? Well, we just read it, woman, right? So John wants his readers to begin to kind of, while they're reading his gospel, go back to John as a reference point. Now, there's another use of woman that you referenced, Mark, and that's Genesis 3.15, this talk about the woman uh, 
stomping out the devil, right? Genesis 3.15, the first gospel, the Proto-Evangelion. So, no doubt, by using woman, if I'm reading this, suddenly I'm thinking about, if I'm reading John chapter 2, I'm thinking about Genesis 3.15. And what is what does John want us to see? Um, that essentially there is, in Cana, a reverse image of what took place in the garden. Uh, so as Eve prompted Adam to defy the Lord and, and drag the human family into sin, so Mary prompts Jesus, the new Adam, to initiate his mission of salvation. Uh, this, I think, Mark, is the salient point that John wants us to begin to think about. That yes, no doubt we have the first of his many signs, uh, and we'll talk about the importance of this happening at a marriage, and one that Mary is instrumental in. Right? Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. So clearly there is something going on here that John wants us to be thinking about, and part of this has to deal with what you were referencing, Mark, Mary as instrumental, instrumental in the restoration of grace. Her yes goes a long, long way, not only there in the Annunciation, but one that took her all the way to the cross. Uh, You talk about the book of Genesis, Mark, well, God is the great author, and all great authors come full circle. If you go from Genesis to the book of Revelation, in Revelation 12, there is, again, the woman uh, crushing the head of the serpent, right? Revelation chapter 12. Exactly. I mean, these are important verses when you want to get at what is, in fact, Jesus saying. Uh, Revelation 12, verse 1, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon on her feet, on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child. So here you have this woman, who is um, the Blessed Virgin Mary, clothed with the sun, with the moon on her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And and for our um, Catholic listening audience, Mark, certainly uh, we see this uh, this image as the Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, 1,500 years later. But to our point, I think what we need to appreciate here, Mark, is uh, before we even get into the bulk of the question, when Jesus says to Mary, woman, yes, there's more than meets the eye, and the more involved this title of endearment, this title of respect, one that initiates a kind of new vocation that would come to fruition in John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, when our Lord gives to John Mary as his mother. John is is a universal disciple in this context, right? So we all receive Mary as our mother. Um, This is all in the background, all in the mind and heart of, of John as he's writing. Well, this is where we pick up on the title, The New Eve. And I think you had mentioned that earlier, Joe. And that's, I love finding out the titles of our saints or of Mary. Um, you know, where do, where do they come from? Um, so, in a nutshell, what we just went through is what leads to this title, The New Eve. Um, and this starts to, uh, this strikes, and no pun intended, when I use the word strike, because 315, <laughs> you know, is. What we read is, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. They will strike at your head while you strike at their heel. Uh, but w- what is striking here, too, as Mary is a new Eve, we see the beginning of a new creation. 
And this is part of Mary's role too. And I think that's where we'll pick up when we come back from the break here. We'll b- dive back into uh, for the further significance of the last words that we read of Mary in Scripture. Stay with us. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more after this short coffee break. You're listening to Awaken on the Real Presence Radio Network. Do you know a priest who has made a difference in your life or at your parish? One who has helped you through a loss, discern an important decision, or celebrated the sacraments with you and your family? Real Presence Radio would like to know about these amazing priests. Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com contact to nominate your priest. And each week on Real Presence Live, we will recognize one of our priests with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. Help us honor our fathers by nominating your priest today. Did you know you can listen to the RPR Network when you're on the go? Just search for Real Presence Radio in your app store. Listen live to any station across the network at any time, so you can stay connected to your local community from wherever you are. Plus, if you miss a program, the Real Presence Radio app is your one-stop shop for local and national podcasts, including our signature show, Real Presence Live. The Real Presence Radio app, with you every step of your faith journey. Download it today and see what you've been missing. We do catechism at, uh, at our parish. Uh, my kids know me pretty well. Usually one of the very first questions that I ask them when I, when I talk to them is, who are you? You know, And uh, you think that that would be something that anybody could answer, but people don't think about it. And uh, it stuns some people. That, uh, they'll look like deer in the headlights because they never really thought about it. They may have an answer as to what they do, what their job is, or what grade they're in, but really not who they are. So we are, we're all body of Christ, and uh, and we need to know that, and it's real, it's part of uh, our community, and we need to we need to acknowledge that, embrace it, and live it. And uh, we do this with the help of Catholic Radio, who keeps us informed of all the things going on, gives us insights with all the programs that are available to us, and is there to support us. They are netting and pulling people together. Uh, let's keep that up and maintain that. Welcome back to Awaken on the Real Presence Radio Network. Now back to more lively, faith-filled conversation with Mark and Dr. Joe Hallcraft. Welcome back to Awaken. Uh, this is Mark Hallcraft in Williston, North Dakota. Uh, so joining you from Williston while Joe continues to join us from Ohio. One of these days, it'll all be in person and it's going to be great. <laughs> so uh, we, we, where we left off before the break is I just threw a shout out because I think it's something that is worth uh, processing and reflecting on is this scriptural passage that Joe and I are reflecting on. It actually, it, it, there's a significance in that these would be the last words we see of Mary in scripture. You know, and as earlier, we talked about the importance of context. You know, it wasn't just when Jesus said a woman, but then uh, uh, how he continues to what, what might appear to be uh, some attitude when he says, "My hour has not yet come," um, and there's a lot happening here. You know, Joe, what's behind Mary's concern when when she says they have no wine? Uh, you know, what what what's the symbolism of that? Um, and then the significance too in this the whole context of the scripture when Mary says, "Do whatever He tells you." You know, there's there's yeah. so many layers to this, right? Um, share with us more on on the significance of these words. 
Yeah, you know, Mark, we, we need to simplify this as we work through it. Here you have uh, <laughs> Mary saying that, you know, they, they, are, they are out of line. Right? And, and, and a marriage feast in antiquity was a big, big deal. Not to say that it's not today, but you're talking about a, a feast celebration that lasts up to seven days. I mean, this is typical to Jewish antiquity. This is typical to ancient Israel. Um, mm-hmm. Wedding feast celebrations that last for, for seven days. And what was a symbol of that celebration? But why? So when they're about to run out, uh, they have no wine. Now, what's interesting about this, Mark, is she doesn't turn to the stewards who you would think she would turn to that can solve the problem. No, she turns to Jesus. And it, it, it's a subtle mm-hmm. thing, but pay close attention to it, because uh, in any other normal circumstance, right, <laughs> you look for the wine stewards, you look for those who can solve the problem. In this case, she says uh, they have no wine. She's turning to her son, knowing that she can do something about this, Right. And then Jesus looks at her and says, woman, ding, 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 like Genesis 3 and all that. Yep, yep. What have you to do with me? Right? What have you to do with me? Is that it? No, uh, my hour has not yet come. So suddenly now, wine and hour must be related, or otherwise it wouldn't make sense. I want to first make a point before we uh, go, go into that, Mark, and that's, this phrase, what have you to do with me? Um, or what is it, uh, what is that to you or to me? Uh, the better translation there in the Greek mark is, what is that to you or to me? This is a Hebrew idiom rendered in Greek. Uh, mark, it, its meaning is flexible, and it has to be determined by context. And in general, it can be expressed in either two ways. It's A can either be a disagreement between parties with oh, what we can call divergent perspectives, or B, the free consent of one party to the express will of another with or without a sense of reluctance. So again, as, as the Church Fathers talk about and as many commentaries discuss, uh, the second connotation really fits this context in Jesus what, but promptly complies with Mary's request. And, and, and Mary never wavers in, uh, in her confidence that Jesus will respond favorably to her petition. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> we have to consider how Mary interprets Jesus' words. She doesn't walk away from the, the scene feeling sad, hurt, or rejected in any way. No, Mark, in fact, she does just the opposite. Do whatever he tells you. So, uh, something to, to be thinking about as we uh, consider this context-specific mark to the phrase itself. Now, um, finally, and I, I think this is really important as well, Jesus' actions indicate that he looks upon, uh, he looks with favor on Mary's petition. Not only does he fulfill her request, right, <laughs> in providing wine, he actually, yeah. Mark, supplies much more wine than Mary or anyone at the feast could have or would have ever imagined. I mean, each of the six stone jars used for ritual purification, as noted in John chapter 2, verse 6, would have held 15 to 24 gallons of water. 
Thus, when Jesus asks that those jars be filled and then changes all that water into wine, he ends up providing some 120 gallons of wine for the wedding party. And if that tremendous uh, overabundance is meant to be a rejection of Mary's request, it is hard, Mark to imagine what fulfillment would look like, right? <laughs> so, right, exactly. Well, that's the word that comes denying, to mind, is it fulfilling? So, yes. I mean, far from denying uh, Mary's appeal, Jesus responds in a way that exceeds all expectations. <laughs> right? I mean, think about this. Yeah, on one hand, oh woman, what does this have to do with you and me? My hour has not yet come. What a rebuttal to, to his mother. But at, at, at a deeper, in a deeper look, one finds something so much more, Mark. And uh, to least of which, to least of which, as we noted early, earlier, Mary is initiating something. Just as Eve was instrumental in the loss of grace, so is the new Eve, Mary, instrumental in the restoration of grace and the beginning of his public ministry, in the beginning of his great work, which, oh, by the way, right, there's a sacramental context here, <laughs> which we haven't gotten into yet, which we will. Um, certainly the superabundance that we see in, in John 6 is, is, is it, it has, its first, has its first look here. Uh, so all very important when you start considering these verses uh, a little bit deeper. For sure, Joe. And that's where, um, if I could jump back to our first segment, when we were just talking about, um, there's almost always a bigger picture. But this is a primary example of, it's not just Jesus that's aware of the bigger picture. My hour has not yet come. Uh, and then, of course, how that's a reference to John 19. And I think you said that earlier, too. The, the hour has arrived. You know, and so and, this, this play amen. on words. But but then Mary, Mary too, uh, aware of the bigger picture. Mary is initiating something. Just like you said, conventional wisdom, Mary is going to go to the person who could do something about it. Well, that's exactly what she did. <laughs> um, because she's aware of something bigger, uh, something more. And I think this is, this is a great example for us as a statement of faith. Why do we go to Jesus and Mary? Maybe conventional wisdom would point that with depending what it is that we're wrestling with, depending what it is that we need to be taken care of, um, maybe our first disposition should always be to go to Jesus and Mary. You know, and this is what we, we see this example in so many of the saints, particularly the saints that are known for their Marian devotion. Uh, and we'll go into that uh, after the next break a little bit. But um, I'm, I'm fascinated because this is what we see with Jesus and Mary always pointing to something more. Je Mary always pointing to Jesus and everything she does, everything she says. Um, I think this is, this is for us. And so the significance when Jesus says uh, to John as he hangs on the cross, behold your mother. Um, Jesus is giving all kinds of foreshadowings uh, that we need to be paying attention to. Uh, I, I would, my hope would be that our listeners, uh, and you and myself, Joe, this is, you know, we've talked about this in other conversations before, the significance for us that within our first, uh, first response to situations that it would be to Jesus and Mary. Yeah, and 
you know, Mark, you make a point there that can easily e- easily be overlooked, and that essentially turning to Jesus and Mary, turning to the supernatural, we could say, uh, while in a natural predicament. Because as we talk about who Mary uh, could have gone to, she went to Jesus. And in how many situations, I would really invite right now our listening audience to challenge themselves. How many times, yesterday, the day before, this past week, did you try to solve a problem that if you invited Jesus, maybe um, he could have helped you? And may it right? And no doubt the good Lord gives us strength and and, and gifts and talents to solve situations and to work through situations. But are we inviting our Lord into... um, that circumstance or that situation that you are being made to solve. This is an important point, Mark, because uh, while there are many other points to be had, quite simply, something is going on here that we have to pay close attention to. Um, Mark, before we break, I I did want to speak to sacramental context, because it is important to us as Catholics. Uh, I mean, (laughs) the good wine. This phrase is very rich, and excuse me for my reference to the Church Fathers this morning, but I, you know, the, the Church Fathers have a lot to, to say on this, and I don't want to go into this too much, but I believe it was Origen who was one of the early Church Fathers to talk about how the transformation of water into wine anticipates what, but the uh, transubstantiation, right, of wine into blood, when, of course, Jesus gives himself to the world in the Eucharistic liturgy. Uh, The wine of marital celebration, then Mark looks to what? But beyond this life, to the marriage supper supper of the Lamb uh, in heaven. We have to be thinking about this because, no doubt, this is what John wants us thinking about. I was was, um, referencing John 6 earlier. What takes place here in John 2, in the good wine, the superabundance, is something that is uh, talked about in John chapter 6 in the, in the Eucharistic Discourse, right? If you not drink of the blood and eat of the flesh, you have no life in you. And certainly this is something of a theme throughout the Gospel of John. When Jesus is talking about his hour, Mark, and the Gospel of John, you see it on five or six different occasions. To say, my hour has not yet come, is a very odd phrase. When you talk about the hour, yeah, you're talking about the hour of his death. You referenced it in John chapter 19. But all throughout the Gospel of John, every time you read the hour, it's filled with this liturgical, Eucharistic context. And and we can't miss this because, again, this is what John wants us to see. John Mark is in the context of theologians, he is the eagle, right? Each, each um, evangelist, each uh, gospel author has their symbol, right? John is the eagle. Why is he the eagle? Because as Benedict XVI reminds us, he likes to soar in the clouds. <laughs> his, his theology is so rich. His theology is so layered um, that we need to roll up our sleeves and work in the tall grass so as to appreciate what he's saying. And here... Here, St. John the Evangelist, who is also the author of the book of Revelation, would have us thinking about Mary as the new Eve, but also, Mark, 
um, this wedding feast as something pointing to the great marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, that which, of course, is the Eucharist, that, that which we share in every Sunday, if not every day. So when you look at the transformation of wine uh, into blood, when Jesus gives himself to the world, uh, the, these two things kind of have an interplay, right? Uh, and something else for John and the hour, uh, the context there, it's just not the blood and the wine or the, the, the Eucharist and the flesh. It's also worshiping in spirit and truth. It, it, it's also... Um, it's also other things that are, are related to the liturgy. So all of this is, again, very rich. And as we stick with this wedding feast at Cana, what we're made to see, Mark, that, uh, you know, the transformation, of, the transformation of what takes place here signifies the joys of marital love. And no doubt for the couple there in Cana, they were experiencing those joys. But what John wants us to see is that when we enter into a bridal union with our Lord in the Eucharist, there is a new kind of joy, a new kind of love that we are made to experience. And certainly, this is something we should be reflecting upon with this passage. Well, this is, uh, as you were talking, Joe, my mind wanted to connect those dots, you know, and, and there's only so much we could do in the next two minutes or so before the break. <laughs> but that that Eucharistic typology that you're talking about, the transformation in the water into wine, but the context of it being in a wedding, you know, again pointing to that the the bigger picture, a deeper reality, that are uh, for those that are called to the life of marriage, matrimony, that is meant to be a reflection again of that self gift of Jesus, you know, and we are to, we are invited to imitate that. Our, you know, in giving of ourselves to our spouse, as Jesus gives Himself to His spouse, the Church. You know, and so the the, the significance and the symbolism, and it's more than just the symbolism. It's you know, you could say, um, and pun, pun intended, the writing on the wall here. You know, in that, what is Jesus getting at? What is He inviting us into? In in regards to the context of a wedding, that He's going to uh, point forward through the significance of a wedding, you know? And I think that's one of the things, it's so important, you referenced it earlier, Joe, that it was typical in antiquity, Hebrew culture, that the weddings would be celebrated for, for seven, eight days, you know? And pointing to this idea of the covenant, um, that eighth day. So there's so many ins and outs, layers moving here. Um, it's fascinating and um, at the very least, it's, the, it's Jesus' invitation for each of us to go deeper. And it's not just going deeper for, you know, uh, for us to learn more and to have more, um, a greater knowledge of our faith, but it's the invitation to dive deeper into the life of Christ. Uh, and of course, this is at the heart of the Eucharist. You know, it is that we would change and be a little Christ, be that the fulfill, fulfillment of a Christian. Um, so Joe, there's, there's so much there. Uh, but we need to put a pause on that now. <laughs> uh, we're going to go into a break here in just a minute. And when we come back, there are so many great 
Marian saints. Um, but we do, because when Joe and I first talked about this, it was closer and nearer to the feast day of St. John Paul II. So when we come back, we're going to discuss some of the impact St. John Paul II has had, not just in the church, but in particular with his Marian devotion. Stay with us. You've made the right choice to listen to Awaken. Stay with us. There's much more to come after this short break. Well, I've seen a lot of people come in and strike up conversations, um, just, you know, asking about the faith. And I can remember one time in particular, we had the restaurant blessed. And <laughs> we've done it a couple of times, but this was the first time in particular. We had about four priests here and the restaurant was open and we were going around and they were, you know, really, really awesome. And I had a young man that worked for me. He was a junior in high school and had not been brought up in any faith at all. And he was like glued to our sides and just asking so many questions and, you know, why are you doing this? And what do you, you know, what do you believe that, you know, what are like the fruits of this blessing going to do to the restaurant? You know, he was just like so curious about so many things. So it just opens, you know, it opens doors and opens conversations with, you know, customers and employees alike. It is. It's just a, it's a great blessing for us. How can you know for sure that your loved one is in heaven? Well, the short answer is you can't. I'm Father Chris Alar, but you can have confident hope that they are saved because no matter when or how they died, even by suicide, you can pray and make sacrifices now to still help them accept God's final offer of grace. Jesus told St. Faustina, call upon my mercy on behalf of sinners. I desire their salvation. When you pray with faith on behalf of some sinner, I will give him the grace of conversion. Wow, if you desire heaven for someone, God desires it even more. So do your part to help them get there. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Thanks for starting your day with us. Now, back to more Awaken, right here on the Real Presence Radio Network. Welcome back to Awaken. This is Mark Holcraft, joined by Dr. with Dr. Joe Holcraft. Uh, we left for the break. We gave just a quick shout out to John Paul II, and we'll be we'll dive into his role and his love of Mary in just a moment. But we did want to just uh, close on one point regarding the context of of a wedding. And Joe, I know you wanted to say something about that. Yeah. So as we talk about the importance of last and first, you know, the last words we have of Mary in the New Testament are do whatever he tells you, and this is her ultimate ultimate mission, right? Do whatever he tells you. How about the first of his uh, public signs, uh, his public miracles taking place at a wedding feast and mark the, the importance of Jesus intervening in marriages, right? Um, here you have him at a wedding feast performing a miracle. Uh, weddings, marriages, families, Mark, need miracles, especially today. And I'm just not talking about the external miracles. We need those, too. But the interior miracle of the heart transforming, right? You, you spoke of 
self-gift, self-donation, if marriages are going to survive in 2021, and more than survive, but, but give life, bear witness to the truth of Jesus Christ, sacrifice has to be at the heart of marriage. It is what defines the holiness of a marriage. And so we need to be inviting Jesus each and every day, each and every night, each and every morning into our, our married life if we're going to, again, just not survive, but more specifically and more importantly, um, bear witness and give life to, to those who are in need of it. It's 2021, obviously, the family is being attacked. We need Jesus. And, of course, Mark, who, <laughs> who had that as his central mission, but uh, St. Pope John Paul uh, II, uh, dare I say, St. Pope John Paul the Great. <laughs> um, right, so yeah. just a little bit about him. I mean, I, gosh, you talk about time. We can spend a very long time talking about John Paul II. I know he's close to both of our hearts and, and to many of our listeners. Uh, St. Pope John Paul II, uh, born Carol Wojtyla, say that five times fast, <laughs> on, <laughs> on May 18th. He was born on May 18th, 1920, and. uh, Wadowice, Poland, the youngest of three children. Um, and Mark, when you look at the life of John Paul II, you quickly see that suffering and loss kind of shaped and formed who he was as a man and as a son of God. His older Indeed, sister, yeah. Olga, uh, died in infancy. And then by the time young Carol, Wojtyla, was 12, his mother, Amelia, had died of kidney failure. His older brother, Edmund, uh, you know, often people, Mark, say when they're talking about his family, Edmund died of scarlet fever. But that's, that's um, giving him the short end of the stick. Edmund died heroically, serving those stricken with scarlet fever. Uh, it, and I highlight that, Mark, because Carol Wojtyla comes from a family of great, great faithfulness, uh, a family that was at the service of God. And, and as many know, at the age of 21... His father died of a heart attack. When I was in Vadovice, Mark, in 1997, I had the blessed uh, opportunity to go on a pilgrimage to uh, Poland and other places. Now, one of our stops in Poland was Vadovice. Uh, and <clears throat> a, a profound a profound moment in my life, touchstone moment, really, when I walked into his house, which is really just a simple condo, um, probably not bigger than a thousand square feet. When you walk into his, his condo, or it might even be an apartment, um, which is a museum today, there's a very large picture of his father praying before the chimney. He's on bended knee. He's praying before the chimney. And when I saw that, Mark, it just struck me. There's a great quote that comes to us from JB2. He says, um, uh, after her death and later the death of my older brother, he's talking about his family, I was left alone with my father, a deeply religious man. Day after day, I was able to observe the austere way in which he lived. His example was, in a way, my first seminary, a kind of domestic mm. seminary. I, I love that, because here, here you have this interplay between who he was then, right, when he's talking about that, he's Pope, and him looking back 
you know, looking back into his life and seeing the value of what Mark, but the family, and how his family put Jesus uh, front and center. Uh, so anyhow, just highlighting, again, the bullet points of his life. Another point I love is that he studied at Jagalonian University there in Krakow in 1938. And did he study philosophy, theology, and history? No. But literature, theater, and poetry. <laughs> right. He was a man of the art. Uh, he performed in local theater productions. He co-founded the, the then very popular in Poland, Rapsic Theater of Krakow. Uh, he was a man of the arts, and certainly this is why I think so many people loved him. Uh, it was during this time, and this time would include certainly Mark, at uh, the beginning of World War II, where he met his spiritual mentor, Jan Ternowski, and was introduced to the Carmelite mysticism of St. John of the Cross. He wrote his dissertation on the faith of St. John of the Cross. No easy read, by no means. I've read it twice, and I, my, my mind still can't quite get all of it. <laughs> uh, this meeting, actually, his time with um, Karanowski profoundly changed the course of his life and ultimately led him uh, to the priesthood. He joined an underground seminary, clandestine seminary, and was ordained, uh, incidentally, Mark, alone on the Feast of All Saints in 1946. Uh, he traveled to Rome to continue his doctoral studies, and upon his return to Poland, he was made an assistant pastor at a parish in, in Poland, where he began his work with young people, which many people are aware. I mean, this is a this is another touchstone point for him, for his uh, life, really, his work with the youth. Uh, he was consecrated Auxiliary Bishop of Krakow in 58, the youngest bishop in the history of Poland, Mark. Uh, he was elevated to the College of Cardinals in 1968, and then, um, I'm realizing this for the first time, but from 58 to 68 to 78, right? <laughs> On October yeah. 16th, 1978, um, he was elected Pope. And Mark, uh, retaining his Episcopal model, right, his, his, his motto as bishop was, totus tuus, I am completely yours, right? And this is the great insight that comes to us from St. Louis de Montfort, who we discussed. Uh, St. Pope John Paul II had a great devotion to Our Lady, uh, and he devoted his entire life, let alone um, who he was as priest, bishop, and pope, to Mary. <laughs> he embraced uh, her words, do whatever he tells you. So he devotes his life to Mary, and Mark as I was suggesting earlier, uh, he does so focusing in on youth and the family. And so as we talk about JP2 on the hills of our discussion uh, on the wedding feast of Cana, it's one thing to, to speak about JP2's devotion to Mary, but another and much more important thing to talk about uh, John Paul II's efforts to bring Mary into every home again and again, from a Wednesday audience to an apostolic exhortation to an encyclical. He was reinforcing the importance of placing Mary at the center of the home to Jesus through Mary, because he knew that if the family was going to rediscover its mission to be in God for others, then uh, it would do so by virtue of the hands of Our Lady. And so praying the rosary, uh, placing Mary in the middle of what you do as she draws you closer to Jesus. This was at the heart of JP2. Otis Tuis, I am completely yours. Well, and, and what got us going regarding John Paul II, Joe, was when you, you were tying in uh, not just 
scripturally uh, that tie into marriage and our need, our need for Jesus in our marriages, our need for sacrifice. Uh, John Paul II is one of those central figures who is so often quoted. And I want to I point out some of the quotes because some of the quotes are significant, certainly, to what we've discussed uh, this morning, Joe. You know, love, uh, John Paul says, quote, love between man and woman cannot be built without sacrifices and self-denial. Uh, and this is what we had already discussed. Um, but certainly he goes there. But then, too, uh, quote again from John Paul II, from Mary, we learn to surrender to God's will in all things. And this is, this is the witness John Paul gives to us at a very early age in his life. You know, and he discusses this. You know, one of the one of the great quotes of Mary or a scripture that points to Mary is, and she took all these things and pondered them. And you and I have discussed that a couple of different times with a different uh, context to it. But this is what we see John Paul II embodying, uh, taking these things and pondering them. So from Mary, we learn to surrender to, to God's will in all things. From Mary, we learn to trust even when all hope seems gone. From Mary, we learn to love Christ, her Son, and the Son of God, John Paul II tells us. And so this is it. I mean, and so there's so many quotes. There might be, he's one of those, he's quoted so often, people may not even realize where certain sayings come from, such as, as the family goes, so goes the nation, and so goes the whole world in which we live. You know, and so um, it is absolutely significant. And Joe, I was really appreciating when you said, you know, Within, within the context of marriage, for our marriage, we need to be ready to sacrifice. And my wife could be listening right now and might be like, well, well, you need to work on that. <laughs> in, in which, uh, <laughs> in which uh, she would be totally right. <laughs> you know? She, she's going to cue this right when you come home, Mark. <laughs> right at this point. <laughs> exactly. I'll come home. And <laughs> so how's that going for you? You know? <laughs> um, but it, and we, we both know that to be true, but to invite Christ this into the center of our marriage, into the center, you know, uh, in ways, you know, we try to pray, uh, we do morning prayer and night prayer every day as a family, we try to, uh, significant within uh, night prayer is praying the rosary, um, alongside with the rosary, uh, if, or if we're not praying the rosary, we're often praying the chaplet of divine mercy, which was also another great not just devotion of John Paul, but it was at the, cent the center of his pontificate to make known the message of mercy of Jesus Christ to the world. Um, and so uh, we see these very powerful witnesses. But, but Joe, uh, you talked about a little bit his writing. And uh, the more I read and dive into John Paul II's writings, um, of course, it's, it's dense, it's thick. Uh, I find myself really trying to ponder it. But in light of today's conversation, Joe, for you and I, I want to point to two documents that I think are really are significant. It's you know, Redemptoris Mater, right, and Familiaris Consortio. And Joe, I would love, can you just give a snapshot of these documents? You know, and you, you, you already went there, you already hinted at it. He wants the family to rediscover the power and value of Mary in our lives. You know, so marriage and family life. And how for John Paul II, central, for the renewal of Mary and family life was going to be Mary, Mary's role. And he embodied that in his own papacy. Uh, that was what was witnessed to him growing up uh, in his young family that you had shared about earlier. But Redemptoris Mater and Familiaris, familiaris Consortio. Uh, Joe, can you offer some insight into those two documents? I think they'd be great documents for our listeners to tap into. Yeah, 
Yeah. So let me first say this about um, Familiaris Consortio, Mark, uh, which is um, an exhortation on the family. Uh, I, th- there's a lot to say there. And when you look at the document, he's really tapping into the call of the Christian and Catholic family to uh, uh, really enter into the mystery of receptivity, so receiving God, so as to uh, better understand what it means to be for others, just not within the home, but also outside the home, right? Placing uh, prayer at the center. He says something in there, and it really jumps out to me right now, Mark, because it's really important to the heart of John Paul II. If, if you were to ask me, what is the most important word to John Paul II? It's going to either be one or two words, and that is encounter or freedom. Uh, he says in Familiaris Consortio that history is not some random series of chronological events. I'm paraphrasing here, because I don't have it in front of me, but history is not some series of chronological events, but in, in event of man, in event of man. Now, why would he say in Familiaris Consortio that history is not some random series of chronological events, but an event of man, and he goes on to say, in event of freedom, he wants to highlight that, Mark, how we live in the home, right, is indeed going to shape history and and shape how we talk about what has transpired, just not locally, but globally, you know, yesterday, two days ago, or, or a week ago. He wanted to, to, to really emphasize that how we love one another in the home is an event that shapes history, right? And it's the starting point, in fact. Because when you look at, say, Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or uh, Benito Mussolini or all of these figures who are the antagonists, they came from a home and there was a lack of love. And right. he says, look at the great Look at the Mother Teresa's and the Fulton Sheen's and, and JP2's, where there was love in the home. They have shaped history in a different, uh, in a different way, set it on a different path. So I would make that point to Familiaris Consortio. And to Redemptor's Mater, gosh, Mark, you dropped that bomb with like three minutes to go. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. Well, there's been so much to the topic today. Top no, that's, that's okay. I would just say, again, for our listening audience, um, it's a theolo- it's a theological um, work, right? But again, off the top of my head, the first part is focused on Mary in the mystery of Christ, where he's focusing on she who is full of grace, right? So what he would want us to see, what he would want us contemplating, and he kind of sets the whole tone of his encyclical with this, is that essentially uh, everything that Mary does as she was full of grace. She does so as to unveil the mystery of Christ. And I highlight that too, Mark, because ultimately, uh, ultimately, Mark, um, it goes back to do whatever he tells you. Right? Full of grace, she recognizes that Jesus can do what no one else could do, which is reveal the mystery of Christ. Well, let's, let's end right there. Let's end there. So much. I started to drop the bomb on you. Thanks for joining us this no, morning okay. with Awaken. God bless you. This has been Awaken on the Real Presence Radio Network. 
Awaken comes to you every second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 7 a.m. Central with Mark and Dr. Joe Hallcraft. 